The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. Have you got the word on your phone or in your heart or probably on the screens? Okay. If you open up to John chapter 11, we today will be covering the seventh miracle in the book of John. We've been doing a series called There's a Miracle for Your House. And uh, we've been going through the book of John. And even though John says that if you were to write about all the miracles, not even all the books in the world would be able to contain all the miracles that Jesus did. But in actual fact, John only focused on seven. And there's seven are significant. And, and so I've done a series on the seven. And basically, each one of the seven miracles underlines a particular miracle that God has got for your house. And the first one was turning water into wine. How many of you remember that miracle, Jesus turning water into wine? Well, what's that? God's got a miracle for your house, and it's the miracle of salvation. Come on, bring it in. It's the miracle of salvation. Now, God can turn something very normal into something incredibly extraordinary. That's what that miracle is all about. That's the message. Then the second miracle in the book of John is the healing of the nobleman's son. And this is about God wanting to bring breakthrough into your family. How many of you need a breakthrough? I'm sure that everyone needs a breakthrough. Well, God's got a miracle of breakthrough ready for your home. The third miracle is the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And this guy not only needed healing, he also needed direction in life. He was stuck. What a sad thing it is to be stuck. For 36 years stuck, not being able to move. Then Jesus comes along, heals him, gives him direction. He's unstuck. He's like, man, I tell you, it's just awesome. I love these miracles. Number four was the feeding of 5,000. That was just 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women and the children. They didn't even count the women and the children. That's just the men that they counted. And that's the miracle of provision. How many of you know God's got a miracle of provision for your house? Have you seen provision, Sophia? God's had miracles of provision for you coming all the way from Russia to Australia and how he's provided for you. You've experienced firsthand the miracle of provision and, uh, and so many more of you are experiencing it and will experience the miracle of provision. Number five was the walking on water. Jesus walked on water. How many of you think that's extraordinary? Walking on water. What's all that about? God's got a miracle for your house. And what's the miracle? Divine possibility. You just got to get impossibility out of your spirit. Because, you know, how many of you know walking on water is impossible? So what, why, why would Jesus walk on water? What, what was the big deal about that? It's to shake us loose out of the whole impossible thinking. To say, with God, all things are possible. So I've literally gone to my dictionary. I just crossed out the word impossible. I just don't want to speak impossible into my life. I want to speak All things are possible to those who believe. How many of you need that sort of word in your life? Because some of you are right now facing an impossible situation. And you've already confessed it. You've already empowered it by saying it's impossible. Well, you know what Jesus says? Give me the last word. Give me the last word. Because all things are possible to those who believe. Number six is the healing of the blind man. I love this story. The healing of the blind man. But this story is not just about God wanting to give you physical sight. It's about God wanting to give you spiritual sight. 
And when you read the story of the healing of the blind man, you see that not only did he get physical healing, he also got spiritual healing. He was also able to get revelation and see things that the Pharisees weren't able to see. They were literally the blind ones. And now this man who was blind is seeing everything. Everything is clear to him about Jesus, about the things of God. How many of you know we live in a world that is incredibly spiritually blind? Just blind. Just blind. They, they actually, we live in a world that call good things bad things and call bad things good things. How many of you know that's blind right there? When you're calling a good thing a bad thing and a bad thing a good thing. Imagine calling the Word of God a bad thing. Imagine calling people that believe the Word of God bad people, bigots and all that sort of stuff. But that's the world. So are you surprised when the world makes decisions that are ungodly? Are you surprised when they make decisions that are anti-faith? Don't be surprised. That's the way that it is with the world. Just as long as they're not your decisions, your decisions are based on what God says. Because you've got spiritual insight. Your eyes have been opened. And maybe today, some of your eyes will be opened to see the truth of God's Word. Don't walk in the darkness, but walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. And number seven, the seventh miracle in the book of John is the raising up of Lazarus. From the dead. What a great miracle this is that we're going to be looking at today. And this miracle is about the fact that God wants to bring life. God wants to bring life into dead spots, into dead places. How many of you have had something die in your life? Well, here's the promise of God. He's going to bring life. He's going to make that which is dead come alive and bring life. He is the God of life. He wants to bring life into your situation. So let's read the miracle in John chapter 11. I'm going at a million miles an hour. Let me slow down. And I had not had any sugar at all. No red cordial. I'm just full of the Holy Spirit. How about that, eh? Woo! Glory to God. Okay, we're going to read verses 21 to 27. This is what it says. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And so then what happens, they go to the grave where, um, where Lazarus had been buried. He'd been buried behind a big stone in a cave and uh, he'd been wrapped up. In, in those days, when someone died, they didn't put them into a casket. They'd wrap them up into linen. And so they'd wrap linen around them like, like a mummy, just you know, sort of, they'd wrap them around in a, how many of you, how many of you seen the mummy or something like that? You've seen them in the, okay, we don't want to scare some of you with the movie of the mummy, but um, anyway, then Jesus, verse 38, then Jesus again groaning himself, in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you 
that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. I just love the mental picture when Jesus said, come forth. Do you see the mental picture? He's, he's this dead man, like a mummy, wrapped in the grave. All of a sudden, Lazarus, come forth. And he shoots up. And all of a sudden, puts his legs on the ground and sort of, he's, I gotta, I gotta obey. I gotta obey, but I can't walk. And so he's, so you can see him just, yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then they said, loose him. So just wrap it and run around. And there he goes, hey, I'm alive. Can you imagine what his sisters would have said? Can you imagine what all those unbelievers would have said? Can you imagine the thrill, the joy? Matter of fact, it became a talking piece. People started coming from Jerusalem to look at the man who was dead, who was now alive. It was just a phenomenal thing. And the poor, and the poor Pharisees, they were so overcome by this, they said, we've got to kill both these guys because they're ruining our reputation. This, this, this is just getting out of hand. Right? How blind can you be? And not see. We've got to kill both these guys because they're ruining our reputation rather than saying, maybe something is happening here. He's a dead man that got resurrected. Maybe the power of God's available here. How many of you can see that when you're blind, you're blind? When you just don't want to believe, you just don't want to believe. You just, you, you just, there's something about having revelation. How many of you got revelation today? Give me a wave if you got revelation. You can see stuff that other people can't see, and it's a beautiful thing. Okay, let's look at the significance of this miracle. What's the significance of this miracle? Yeah, I know that Jesus raised, you know, a dead man to life, but what is the significance? It goes deeper. There's, there's, there's a deeper significance. And the clue is... Chapter 11, verse 4, that's repeated again in verse 40, where Jesus says to Martha, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus is saying, I've held this one right to the end. This is the last one. Well, John was making this out to be the last one because you know that there were more miracles that Jesus did in the Passion Week, the last week before he was crucified. So even though there were a lot more miracles, John's making this the last one. Why is that? Because he's got a point to make that this was really important, that the Son of God would be glorified, that the message of Jesus would take a new level. Then, then John actually introduces this miracle in, in John chapter 10, verse 10. And there's an introduction to this in John. So there's another clue given in the chapter before. And this is one of... A very well-quoted passage of Scripture. John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come. How many of you know this one? But to steal, to kill, destroy. But what's the next part of the verse? It says, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So the introduction to this resurrection is, is life and more abundantly. What's interesting is this, is that Jesus says, I've come that you might have life to people that were already alive. 
Have you noticed that? He says, I've come that you might have life. But everybody he was saying that to was already alive. So hang on, I'm alive. Yeah, but the life that I've come to give you is not the life that you already have. And so the life that Jesus was talking about was not the life that we get when we are born. See, everybody that's born gets life, gets existence. What Jesus was talking about, he used, a word is used here, it's called Zoe. It's a Greek word, Zoe. And you know that the, that the New Testament was written originally in the Greek language. And so this word Zoe, in its context, literally means, are you ready for this? It means the life of God. I have come that you might have, here it is, the life of God. The God type of life. Oh, come on. There's something different about the God life. There is something different about the Zoe of God. And so, again, you know, the clues were given to us in the earlier parts of the book. In John chapter 3, unless you were born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, how can I be born again? You know, do I have to go back into my mother's womb? No, 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 no. You, what you need is the new birth, which is the new life, the Zoe that comes from God when you believe. And there's the breath of God is breathed within you when you get the the Zoe of God, you come alive spiritually. How many remember the day when you became alive spiritually, where you received that, that life of God? It's the Spirit of God. It's the DNA of God. See, a lot of people, what they've got, they've got, they've got a bit of theology. They've got a, a bit of truth. And, you know, so, so, so what happens for so many people is that they do a catechism, they do scripture, they do religious class, and they learn some stuff from the Bible. They learn a few Bible verses. That's information. It's not the life of God. You can memorize it, but you still don't have the life of God. You can pass the exams, but you still, because it's information, it's in the head. What Jesus wanted to give was not information, but the Spirit of God, the Zoe of God, the life of God. And when that life of God enters within you, wow, something happens. You are now born again. Now you receive the breath of God, not just the breath of life, but the breath of God. It's the Zoe of God. Now, going back to John 10.10, I love this because Jesus said, not only do I just want to give you life, I want to take it a step further. Not just Zoe, but it goes on, but I want to give you abundantly, this, this life abundantly, this, this, this expression abundantly. And, and again, another Greek word is used. So you've got Zoe, which means life, and this more abundantly is another Greek word, which is the word perisos. And perisos, P-E-R-I-S-S-O-S, perisos, literally means the over and above type of life. Wow, think about this. God does not only just want to give us the God life, but the over and above God life. Here it is, the more than enough. This, this more abundantly literally means more than enough. The more than enough God life. See, this is what I love about God, is that when He blesses you, He just doesn't dabble a couple of little blessings upon you just to get you by. He says, I've got more than enough. 
I'm the God of more than enough. Not just enough, not not enough. Too many people are living in not enough. Some people want to believe for just enough. But God says, I'm more than enough. I'm more than enough. I've got the more than enough blessing for you, above and beyond. And then Paul takes it up in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do just look, if it was just exceedingly, I, I'd, I'd love for it to stop there. I mean, I'd be happy just with exceedingly. But he doesn't stop it exceedingly. Now to him who was able to do exceedingly. What's the next word? Abundantly. Above all that you ask or think according to the grace that man, it just goes over and over and over and over the top. Yeah. See, that's the God life. That's what Jesus came to give. This God life. Some of you need to repent for living a below-the-line life. When God's got not just an above-the-line, but an above and beyond-the-line. Just this incredible abundance of life. And the reason for that is that God wants you to be an overflowing well to others. So many of you are just, are just praying for God to meet your needs. And God says, I can meet your needs, but I can do better than that. I can help you meet the needs of others. Come on, I just want to fill you so much with my life that wherever you go, you just, you're just spilling out. Wherever you, you come into a room and you just spill out all over the place. Some people do that with their weight. Wherever they go, they just spill out all over the place. God wants us to spill out with the blessing of God all over the place. Some, so many people do it with negative words. So many people do it with the, the wrong thing. So, so many people do it with stress. And they spill out all over the place. They come into a room and you can back away slowly because I can feel the dark cloud that's just walking into the room. Do you want to be like that? I don't want to be like that. I don't ever want to say, I don't want my family ever to say, everybody hide, dad's home. What is that? I, I, I want when I come home, the wife comes out, the kids come out, the dog comes out, the neighbors come out, John's home! Whoa! You're looking forward to that, Dion? But see, you've got to carry that for, that for that to be appealed. For some of you, when you come over and the dog hides, it's like, Ugh. what is that? That's the wrong life. The right life is where you're just spilling out. This is what God wants to give. This is, this is what this story is all about. This is what God wants to give. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. There is a connection between belief and life. I want everybody to say there is a connection between belief and life. And that's what John was trying to get us to get. In the whole book of John, right from the first chapter to the last chapter of John, he just wanted us to get, it's about belief, guys. You've got to believe in Jesus. You've got to believe. 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 Matter of fact, when, when John tries to summarize his whole book in John chapter 20, verse 31, he's trying to summarize the whole, why, why he's written this book. And he says, these things are written that you may believe. That's why I wrote this, that you get this belief into your system, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Can you get the connection there? He's saying there's a connection between belief and life. 
And so he's Jesus. Well, well, read this again. Come on. We, we, we miss it. We, we miss it by a long shot. He, how many of you can quote John 3.16? If there's one verse in the Bible that we can quote, it's John 3.16. Let's do it all together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. How many of you can see the connection between believing and everlasting life? Somehow, because the two words aren't next together, so it's, it's, somehow we don't have the formula, belief equals life. It's a bit separated, but here it is. If you believe in him, you're not going to perish, but you have everlasting life. And so with that introduction, let's read 11.25 again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? How many of you can see what word is just coming across all the time? Belief, 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 belief. And then she said, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. He's trying to get him to believe because through belief comes life. Can I just say to you today emphatically that belief, faith, is the doorway to life, the God life. It's the doorway. Belief. And so here it is. Belief is what you do. Faith and life is what God does. So you got to start. And so this is where every, everything in theology has a God factor and a man factor, a man factor and a God factor. And theology is always skewed when we go, it's all one side or it's all the other. It's always a tension together. And so there's this marriage of belief and life. So what do you have to do? You've got to believe. That's the whole purpose of this book. Can you get faith? Can you believe? Can you say, I believe? Or are you going to say, no, I'm not sure. Because you're like the storms, waves of the sea tossed to and fro. Don't, don't think for a minute that you'll ever get anything from God when you start doubting. You've got to step up to the plate and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he paid the penalty for my sins upon the cross. I believe that on the third day he rose from the dead. I don't care what anybody says. That's what I believe. And when you start believing that, With all of your heart, God says, let me impart life to you. The Holy Spirit comes in. The breath of God, the life of God, the Spirit of God comes into you. And all of a sudden, that which was dead becomes alive. See, before that moment of belief, the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So we, we, we were living... You might have been living, but not spiritually. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then as soon as you believe, God breathes the breath of life into you. The Spirit of God comes into you, and you become alive spiritually. What a wonderful thing it is to have spiritual life. Some of you got to get out of your head and into your heart. you got to get out of the theology into the practicality. you got to get into, well, I don't know about this, and just confess, I believe, I believe. 
Just begin to confess, I believe. These signs shall follow those who believe. I'm a believer. And when we baptize people next Sunday, we're going to give them a t-shirt. And the t-shirt simply says, I'm a believer. Life Source Christian Church. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Can I just say to you that the miracle that Jesus did in raising Lazarus from the dead, the bottom line is this. Here's the bottom line. The God life that God gives you is more powerful than death. That's the bottom line. That's what he was wanting. That's why he wept. That's, he didn't weep because Lazarus was dead. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. What is that? He's not bursting into tears because, well, he must have loved him so much. He's, raising, he's going to raise him from the dead. He's not crying about that. What was he crying about? He was crying about how little faith everybody around him had. He was crying at their lack of faith, at their lack of belief. That's what he was crying about. Not that Lazarus was dead. He, he was ready to raise Lazarus from You don't cry about what you're about to do. You know what you're about to do. There was no, he's already confessed that he's just sleeping. It's okay. Don't worry about it. He's just asleep. He's not crying over that. What's he, what's he groaning about? He's groaning about the blindness of people around him that he came to give life to and open eyes so that they could see this death thing. Man, it's had you in bondage all of your life. Fear of death, Hebrews chapter 2 talks about it. So many people have been in bondage through fear of death all of their life. Maybe you have some other fear in your life that's kept you in bondage. What, what, do you, what are you afraid of? Because at the end of the day, the reason if you're claustrophobic is because you kind of think that the closed spaces are going to kill you. If you're afraid of spiders, you kind of think that the spiders are going to kill you. If you're afraid of clowns, it's because you believe that clowns are going to kill you. But not if daddy's around. Daddy will kill any clown that ever tries to come near my little girl. So um, <laughs> stay away from my girl, clowns. <laughs> it's fear of death. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 15, that Jesus came to release us from the fear of death. And how did he do that? He destroyed death. So when Jesus died... He destroyed death. But what he was doing here was already precursing that. He was, he was already the precursor of saying, see, death doesn't have a sting with me. I have the power over death. I can pull someone out of the grave. I can, I've come to destroy death. And we quote it on Resurrection Sunday, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, 55. It says, oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus pulled out the sting of death, my friends. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's defeated death. You don't have to be afraid of death. And that's what Jesus was trying to do here. Let me talk to you about three stages of human existence. The three stages of human existence. The first stage of human existence is in the womb. So we got Simone on the front row. With Dion. When's your baby due? In three weeks' time. Come on, stand up, Simone. Let's, let's have a look at the baby bump. Yeah, look at that. Don't you love that? How many of you know that in that little bump, that swelling is a little baby? And it's, it's alive. Do you feel it kicking? 
I can, I can feel you poking around. See, that baby's excited about Pastor John's preaching. It's going, preach it, pa- preach it, Pastor John. Preach it, preach it, Pastor John. Preach it. So that baby's doing it. Am I right or wrong? Huh? I tell you, he's more excited than some of you are. What is the matter with you? A baby can say more amens than some of you. <laughs> Psalm 139. Oh, You've got to read this psalm. Hey, can I give you some homework? Why don't you read Psalm 139? It's Anne's favorite psalm. Just beautiful. But, but in, especially verses 13 to 16, it talks about how, how God formed us while we were in the womb. Not only does he form us while we're in the womb, he literally writes a book about our future, about our life. Did you know that God wrote a book about your life before you were born? I wonder how many of you are living a life that's connected to the book that God wrote while you were in the womb. Because believe it or not, while you were in the womb, what God was doing, he was putting gifts and talents that were all connected to your future. He was putting them in there. See, the book about my life was, was John Giuliano. He's going to be a pastor. He's got, this, this little baby's going to be a pastor. And so while, while I was being formed into the womb, God was putting every gift and talent that I needed to be a pastor. Every gift. So for me, everything that I do, pastoring, is not a stress. It's easy. It's a gift. It's, it's a talent. It's, it's, it's a God-given ability. Because I found out what that book was. I asked the Holy Spirit to reveal to me what that book was so that I could align my life to the book of God. Read Psalm 139. It's fascinating. It's there. And what a wonderful life you can live when you understand the purposes of God for your life. Anyway, that stage one is the womb. But after nine months or so, what happens is that you get to exit the womb. And now you enter a whole new stage of existence. Very different. While, you're in the, while that baby's in the womb, that baby is not breathing by itself. It's using Simone's air. It's not having any steak dinners. It, whatever Simone eats, that baby eats. It's like it's all through the mother. So th- the whole existence of that baby is dependent upon the mother. As soon as it comes out, now it's in stage two. It's gone from the womb to the world. And as soon as it exits the womb, now you've got to breathe by yourself, baby. Now you've got to eat by yourself, baby. Now, baby, you've got to grow. You've got to be bigger. Right? It's, a whole ex- it's, it's a whole existence. And in three weeks' time, what that baby will have is Dion, ready on the other side. <laughs> have you practiced your catching? You got the glove? Come on. That baby's going to come. But you know what? He's Dion. He's so excited. They had a... We weren't able to come because we had three events yesterday, but you had a, a baby queue? A baby queue. Not a barbecue, but a baby queue. It was a welcome, a welcome to this world baby, and it was lovely. I, I mean, I saw some of the photos, but, but congratulations. But the point that I'm making is this. His dad at the other end saying, come on, baby, I've been waiting for you. I can't wait to hold you. I can't wait to kiss you. I can't wait to show you how beautiful this world is. I can't wait to show you how beautiful your mum is. You better use that line, mate. Huh? Very important. I can't wait to show you how handsome your pastor is. You better use that line as well. <laughs> but the big event is the pastor's wife. She, anyway, we won't even go there. I needed to do that for my sake, not for yours. Okay. It's the world. 
So your baby comes into the world and starts to grow. And then this world is divided into two stages. And here, and this is what Jesus was trying to say, is that there's a stage of life before you believe, and then there's a stage of life after you believe. How many of you remember the stage of life before you believed, before you became a Christian? Can you remember that, your pre-Christian days, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, when you were away from God, where God was just some ethereal figure out there, and then you got born again, and then you have a new life, and this new life. And it's so, so he's our existence in this world is divided by two lines, before we believed, after we believed. And so part, part of what I do and part of what Aaron and Mandy do and part of what we do as a church here is that we want to encourage people to cross that line of finding faith, of receiving Jesus, because there is a distinct line. And, and when you cross that line, the Bible says you're born again. Now you've been born a second time. The first time you come into your world, that's the first time you're born. But then you've got to be born again. That's stage two. Come on, get into stage two, because stage two is exciting. And that's where the life of God's spirit comes in and when the life of God's spirit comes in this is what Jesus says you'll never die what you'll never die that's what Jesus is saying whoever lives and believes in me verse 26 shall never die do you believe this hang on hang on Jesus hang on Jesus we just had a funeral we just, had, we just lost one of our young adults the other day, Fiona. But she's not dead. She was a believer. You say, what? We, 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 we buried the body. Yeah, that's exactly what you did. You buried the body, but you didn't bury Fiona. You buried the carcass. You buried what she lived in. You buried the house. But that's not Fiona. Fiona has the promise that she's never going to die. So what happened? This is what happened. Just as the baby was alive in that womb, but had to exit the womb to come into stage two of this world, what Fiona had to do, Sarah, she had to exit stage two to come into eternity. And just as when you do it right, there's daddy waiting for stage two, ready to catch you. What happened with Fiona, Sarah, was that daddy was waiting there saying, come on, Fiona, come on, I'm ready for you. Enter now into the joy of the master. And we cry and we weep because we're going to miss them. But you know what? They're not dead. They're alive. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. See, I believe that. I believe that. And what a wonderful expression of hope it is to stand at someone's funeral and say, they're not here, they're with Jesus. And everybody sits there and says, do you believe that? Well, if they're a believer, when, when they made that decision to cross the line and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you'll never die. I'm a believer of that. I'm not dying. I'm just going from one state of existence into another. I leave this body behind and I take on eternity. Just as the baby leaves the womb, takes on another form of existence, stops depending upon the placenta and the air of the mother and now has to start to breathe its own life. Stage three is the same thing. We discard 
this body. Our spirit goes into the presence of God and we take on a new form of existence. The baby didn't die when it left the womb. And we don't die when we leave this world if our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We live forever. And that's the Word of God. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach us through this amazing miracle. You'll never die. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.